Well, happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our Week 10 recap episode on the Frary and Smith podcast. Week 10 in the Sun Belt brought clarity to the league after the exciting Thursday night game between Coastal Carolina and App State. The weekend slate certainly did not disappoint. Both title favorites, Coastal Carolina and Troy, survived tough tests from App State and Louisiana. Southern Miss and Georgia Southern each suffered home defeats, while South Alabama and Georgia State continued to rack up wins. Plus, ULM won a shootout in Monroe over Texas State. Caden, what was your reaction to Week 10 in the Sun Belt? I mean, we saw a crazy week of college football in general, if you just look across the country. And I was telling you before this podcast, once you see some other crazy wins, some upsets, some some good action of college football start to happen during the day, you know the Sun Belt's going to follow it up with some of their own. So just another great week that really just showed off how talented all of these teams are, I feel like, and how this league has a lot of parity and how every week, any given Saturday, any given Thursday, Somebody could beat somebody else in this conference, and I think this really showed we had a lot of strong individual performances, a lot of strong team performances, and we talk about how important the ball is in the month of November, and some teams were taking care of it, some teams were giving it up, and a lot of teams are finding the end zone and coming up big in the fourth quarters of these games, so I'm super excited to talk about this weekend. Well, like we do on every Monday episode, we'll start the episode with the Sunbelt Scoreboard, where we'll review all the results from around the conference in Week 10, then Caden and I will take an in-depth look at each of Saturday's matchups. First up, during the midweek, it was Coastal Carolina versus App State in Conway. It was in front of a sellout crowd. App came in favored, but they walked out with an L, losing 35-28. to Coastal Carolina improved to 8-1 on the season. App State fell to 5-4, and and don't look now, them boys from Boone might not be heading to a bowl game this year. Next up on the schedule, Old Dominion versus Marshall. This game was played in Norfolk, Virginia. Marshall came in as a slight 3.5-point favorite. And they walked out with a win on the road despite neither team scoring an offensive touchdown. We saw 12 points in this game, all on field goals. Old Dominion falls to three and six on the year. Marshall to five and four. Now just one win away from becoming bowl eligible in their first year in the Sun Belt. Next up, Southern Miss and Georgia State. The Golden Eagles came in hot. They'd won three in a row. This game was being played at home in Hattiesburg. Um, Southern Miss came in a two-point favorite, but they walked out with a very deflating 26-point loss. Uh, Southern Miss falls to five and four and they missed their chance to become bowl eligible. And now with a couple of tough games on the schedule remaining, they might not become bowl eligible until the final game of the regular season when they take on ULM. Georgia State, meanwhile, fall, or improves to four and five. They're suddenly the hottest team in the Sun Belt. And don't look now, but with three games remaining, can Georgia State claw all the way back from a second consecutive 0-4 start to become bowl eligible? That'll be something we're looking out for. Georgia Southern, South Alabama, this one was in Statesboro, a place that South Alabama has never won. They won last year's meeting in Mobile, and they came in favored in this one, but they would, or South Alabama would actually go on to win 38-31 to despite trailing in this game 21-0 after one quarter of play. Georgia Southern again misses an opportunity to become bowl eligible. South Alabama improves to 7-2 as they continue to try to apply pressure to Troy uh, for that West Division title race. Louisiana and Troy, this one nearly went bad for the Trojans in Lafayette. They came in favored by three and a half, but it was Louisiana who would fall 23-17. to Troy picking up a big victory on a walk-off touchdown by Kamani Vidal. Louisiana falls to four and five on the season. They're probably not going to be bowl eligible this year. Troy continues to look like the favorite in the West as they improve to seven and two. Next up, probably the best game of the weekend If you like points, if you like close scoring games, ULM and Texas State, this one was in Monroe. ULM, they don't lose a lot at home, and they came in a three-point favorite. They would walk away with a 31 
the 30 victory after Texas State missed a field goal at the end of regulation. Both of these teams, three and six on the year. Last game on the schedule for Saturday and what was a jam-packed weekend of Sunbelt football, Louisville and James Madison in Louisville, Kentucky. This game was close at half. It was 10 to 10. James Madison led for most of that first half. Uh, Louisville had come in as a six point, six and a half point favorite, uh, but they would pull away uh, late in that game. James Madison falls to five and three. And after being ranked just three weeks ago, Caden, they've now lost three consecutive games. And probably the most interesting thing in this game was a penalty that was called in the fourth quarter on Malik Cunningham and Torres Jones. Jones was initially ejected from this game before being reinstated after an ensuing penalty because Malik Cunningham pulled him out of bounds. But that was a lot of that was very interesting at the end of this game. Two teams, Southern Miss and Georgia Southern, failed to become bowl eligible despite opportunities to do that on Saturday. Home teams went just two and four. Uh, the only two home teams to win, uh, or that were actually favored, rather, were ULM and Southern Miss. ULM was the only one to win. And after eight weeks, Coastal Carolina, or 10 weeks, rather, Coastal Carolina is now the favorite in the East, and so is Troy. And it feels like, Caden, those two programs, Coastal Carolina and Troy, are on a collision course in the Sunbelt Championship game at the beginning of December. Yeah, I mean, those are the two teams where we were talking about in this year. Had some high hopes for them more for Coastal Carolina than Troy. But now that you look at what they've done this season and how they've been able to take care of business, and now you look at the rest of their schedules, it seems like they set themselves up. They take care of business in the beginning of the season to set themselves up in a great position at the end of the season where everyone's now kind of just hoping they slip up, hoping they get some losses. And in Coastal Carolina's case, it's not even really attainable, even if they do slip up. So kudos to those teams for really taking care of their business in the beginning of the team and setting themselves up now where they're probably feeling really great heading into the end of their schedule. Well, three weeks remain in the regular season, but let's dig into these Week 10 matchups. And Caden, we'll start with the game that we started with in our preview episode, and that was Old Dominion versus Marshall. This one was played in Norfolk, Virginia. And Marshall came in favored in this one. Old Dominion would walk out with their first shutout in five years. They failed to score a single point at home in front of a big crowd. Uh, Marshall does not score a single offensive touchdown, but win this game 12-0. We'll get into that a little bit more. Marshall forcing four turnovers in this game, and it was actually uh, the uh, a huge win for Marshall in this contest. But I wanted to start with talking about forcing turnovers. Marshall forced uh, zero turnovers in their loss to Coastal Carolina last week, but then every time, Caden, this year that Marshall's had a game where they failed to force a turnover, they've responded with four-plus turnovers in the next game. They had five different players when you count the three-fumble Forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and the interception that were credited with a takeaway in this game. Their defense really stepped up against Old Dominion. They definitely did, and I think Marshall's proven they can win a bunch of different ways as far as their strength of their defense and those performances. And I think when you look at this one, they really started and ended the game with these turnovers, and it kind of bookended their day and really had them be the reason why they can keep teams out of the end zone. I think they were on the field and they were able to dominate the time of possession. So their defense made the most of their limited time on the field and causing those turnovers is always a huge plus. And they also, Old Dominion went for the ball on fourth down twice and they didn't get either of those. And you can credit those as turnovers as well, really. So just a great performance from Marshall as far as staying off of the field and keeping their offense on the field. And turnovers have a big part of that for sure. When you look at Old Dominion, they had a season worst performance on offense. They failed to score despite averaging nearly 25 points per game this year. They average almost 358 yards per game, but in this game, they were only able to muster 198 total yards and zero points. Caden, this looked like a shell of the old Dominion offense that we've seen for most of the year. Yeah, I think it's kind of safe to officially and publicly say that the two-week run that Old Dominion was on where their offense scored 49 points against 
um, Coastal Carolina in that upset and had a good offensive day against Georgia Southern where they had 23 points. It's really looking like a flash in the pan. I think we looked at the beginning of the season and we were worried about their running game and we were worried about some of those offensive struggles and their defense was keeping them in close games and we were kind of looking at that and was like, okay, well, maybe they can turn some things around. And then they had that two-week turnaround. But, I mean, ever since those 49 points against Coastal, the past three weeks they've scored 40 points total. So, I mean, it's 13 points a game and they haven't really been doing it. We haven't really seen them run the ball efficiently. Marshall, credit to them and their defense obviously playing great. But I think you look at Old Dominion, all of the things you were worried about in the beginning of the season as far as the offense goes, I think these last couple of games are definitely worried about that as well. Not a great game from Ali Jennings again. Blake Watson couldn't get the ball running. So I think it's definitely... I'm not going to say full-on panic mode for Old Dominion's offense, but there's definitely a ton to look at, and I think we might have to look at these last three weeks as them maybe trying to maybe trying to reinvent themselves and kind of set themselves up better for the future as far as their offense goes. Yeah, this feels like the exact opposite of last year for Old Dominion, where they struggled to start the season before getting hot and winning a lot of games down the stretch. Uh, definitely in stark contrast this season. I think a big point here for Marshall was just how easy they made it or how easy it was for them to run the football. You spoke on Friday's preview episode about wanting to see Cam Fancher do a little bit more running. He did just that with 136 yards. Laburn ran for 139, those two combining for nearly 275 yards on the ground. Marshall ran for just under 300. Uh, Fancher threw two interceptions in the air, but uh, the running game was clearly the ticket. And Caden, you've been saying that for a while, getting Fancher involved in the running game more. I have been saying this for a while. I've been on top of this hill as far as Fancher starting just because of his run game and what he can bring to this team as far as their deficiencies and what he can bring as a bonus for them. And I think credit to Marshall's offensive staff for looking at what happened last week with Darren Granger from Georgia State running all over Old Dominion and trying to put some of that into this game plan. And it was clearly a success for them. But you talk about Fancher. Definitely had a rough day in the air, didn't throw the ball the best, went 13 for 25 and only threw for 89 yards. And those two interceptions and turnovers have been an issue for him all week. But you have to credit Old Dominion's defense in this one as well. Obviously, Marshall's defense is going to get the majority of the credit for the shutout, but Old Dominion kept those guys out of the end zone. And they did a lot of that because they weren't going to let Fancher beat them. They let the run game do their thing. And that was obviously going to be a part of their attack that you kind of have to come to terms with when you're playing Marshall they're going to run the ball and then when you add the quarterback element to it that's going to be hard to stop but then you look on the defensive side of the ball this team hasn't been able to pass block all year up front I've always been worried about that as far as Marshall goes and that's why I kind of support Fancher being that mobile quarterback who can maybe get himself out of those situations a little bit better than Columbia but then as a defense they weren't going to let that explosive play over the top beat them Old Dominion played over the top they didn't allow anything as far as explosive plays goes I think the most explosive pass play was 12 yards in this game and they really wanted Fancher pretty much to pick them apart and he's just not built for that kind of play style but because he brings other things to the table they were allowed to pull out this win and lean on that run game and not necessarily have to lean on his arm last thing on this matchup Ollie Jennings his streak of seven straight games with a touchdown came to an end and in his last two games after the red hot start to the year where he was leading the nation in receiving yards just seven catches for 54 yards and a touchdown over his last two uh, Old Dominion is has their first time this year where they have zero touchdowns in the game since the first game of the year. And when you look ahead for Old Dominion, they've got James Madison at home next week. Uh, that one's going to be very tough. And then next up for Marshall, they're going to host App State. And Caden, after two weeks of the season, we were looking at this game thinking college game day might be coming to Huntington. But far cry from that, uh, from what we saw early on in the year. But Marshall will host App State. Uh, we'll move on now. Southern Miss versus Georgia State. Uh, and this probably, in my mind, was one of the most disappointing games of the weekend. Southern Miss had started to propel themselves into a real conversation in the West, but they came in and laid an egg at home 
uh, losing this one 42 to 14. Georgia State ran for a season high 388 yards on the ground. Uh, they led 28 nothing at the half. Southern Miss failed to reach bowl eligibility despite a big opportunity here to do that. And Caden, the storyline in this game starts with the big game that Marcus Carroll had. He ran for 163 yards, tied a Georgia State record with three touchdowns. Georgia State runs for 388 on the ground, and they did it with all or they did it without Jam Williams playing. Tucker Gregg also had 28, uh, just 28 rushing yards in this game, but it was Darren Granger and Marcus Carroll who combined for over 306 yards that did the lion's share of the work. Yeah, I think this one will go down as the Marcus Carroll game. This is the second time in his career he's had double-digit carries. He had 15 carries in that Charlotte shootout that they had to use probably just about every offensive player they had in that game. But then he comes out in this one, and like you mentioned, ends up being the feature back, getting those 24 carries, 163 yards, and three touchdowns. And I have to admit, I have to sit here and and <laughs> make my bed, lay in it, whatever you want to call it. In the preview, I was wrong. I, I, I bet against... Darren Granger, and I knew it was going to be either bet against Darren Granger or bet against this nasty bunch defense, and I was wrong. I chose Southern Miss to win, to cover, and I took Thunder on the points, and Georgia State blew all of those things out of the water, and I think you have to give your credit to Darren Granger and that offense, really, for seeing the success they had last week in the run game and leaning on that to close out the season. You have a couple weeks left in the season, and I think it's really a theme we've seen in a couple of these games this weekend. You don't want to run your quarterback all the time. You don't want to get him to get hit early in the season, but when you have the last three, four games of the season, you want to pull out these wins, you want to pull out all the stops. You have to use your mobile quarterback if you have them, and you got to credit Georgia State and Darren Granger for stepping up to the occasion. This is the second week in a row he hasn't turned the ball over as well, which is a huge plus for that offense. And when the running game's clicking like that and he's playing with that much confidence, Georgia State's proven to be a tough team to stop, I will say. Second consecutive week that Darren Granger gets near 300 yards of total offense. He has 276 133 through the or through the air, 143 on the ground, and then also had two touchdowns through the air. Last week he was at 299 and two touchdowns. Darren Granger, Caden, we just spent a moment talking about him, but Darren Granger is certainly playing some of the best football of his career over the last couple of weeks. No, it's really exciting to see. I think that's something we've obviously been talking about on this podcast quite a bit as far as how can this Georgia State team take the leap? We, we had kind of high hopes earlier for them in the season, and they obviously come off to that four-game losing streak that was tough for them. But I think now we're starting to see them turn some things around, and they're probably kind of hoping, ah, oh, what if he was playing this good in the beginning of the season? But you look at the rest of their schedule, big game against Louisiana Monroe, big game against JMU, and big game against Marshall. It's safe to say a lot of those teams that we've seen throughout the season have shown some weaknesses, and he's proven as a quarterback now he might be able to exploit some of those weaknesses with his skill set. So I'm super excited to watch him and this Georgia State offense finish out the season in these last three weeks. Georgia State probably gets to five wins next week against ULM. And then, you, like you said, you've got James Madison and Marshall to end the year. So there is a chance here for Georgia State to become bowl eligible. And it's crazy to think after a couple weeks ago when most people had largely written off Georgia State, including us, but they've been playing some of their best football. The big storyline in this game, Caden, the nasty bunch got nasty bunched. Georgia State had a program record seven sacks. Uh, they held the Eagles to 33 uh, rushing yards, or the Golden Eagles rather, to 33 rushing yards. Uh, the Panthers have given up just 485 yards of offense in the last two weeks. If you do the math on that, Caden, quickly, that's 242 and a half yards per game. And in those two games, Caden, they've only allowed 59 yards on the ground or 29 and a half yards per game. Georgia State's defense suddenly looking like one of the best defensive units in the Sun Belt as we go down the home stretch. 
You're definitely right. I think when you look at the nasty bunch, we were talking about how much confidence we had in that group because of the consecutive great performances they were putting together. And it looks like this was kind of just the one that kind of broke them. It was the, they, they kind of reached their limit as far as what they can do to help out this team and help out this offense specifically. And then we see one of the rare performances where their defense is actually outperformed by the opposing defense. And you have to credit Georgia State for their run-stopping abilities and their amazing pass-rushing performance. They had seven sacks, eight hurries, and 12 TFLs. If you have two defensive linemen leading your team and tackles at the end of the game. That's just the definition of owning the line of scrimmage, stopping the run for a team who's notoriously good at running the ball. And then on these young quarterbacks, which they rotated, which is a whole other issue that they're having right now with the quarterback carousel they had to run. Each quarterback was having problems with this defense. So you have to credit Georgia State's defense for playing so well up front and on the back end, giving the receivers some problems too. Frank Gore had a pretty good day. He's averaging over 90 yards per game in his last four games, ran for 87 more on 11 carries, but 43 of those came on a lengthy touchdown run in the third quarter. Uh, but another big piece of this offensive puzzle for Southern Miss was the fact that they had to use four quarterbacks in this game, including Frank Gore as that super back. But Zach Wilkie started. He was replaced in the first quarter. We saw Trey Lowe and Jake Lang as well in this contest. And right, we're right back where we started at the beginning of the year. Suddenly some quarterback questions uh, for Southern Miss after it really had looked like Zach Wilkie was starting to solidify himself as QB1 for Georgia State. Yeah, tough weekend to be a quarterback for Southern Miss, for sure. I think when you look at them, the momentum, the momentum they had with Zach Wilkie, and he's not necessarily playing all-star performances and great performances, but the weapons around him rising to the occasion, the defense rising to the occasion, it's very easy to say, okay, he's he's doing good things for us. But then when your back's against the wall and your first, first five drives of the ball game, you don't lead your team to any points and you're down 21-0, to and you're a freshman quarterback, your coach, Will Hall, kind of had to make the decision. I think it was just the reality of the situation. Unfortunately for him, Jake Lang comes in and throws an interception on his first drive. So just a, a messy situation, I think, in that quarterback room. It's going to be a big offseason for development. And if you look at them not being bold eligible anymore, maybe you use these last couple games as trying to figure out who's going to be that guy moving forward in the future, just because I feel like you can still lean into Zach Wilkie and maybe still build that confidence up, but it is kind of hard to once you start rotating some quarterbacks at the end of the season. That's why you've kind of always seen me be an advocate for letting your guy route out the game. But when you're down 21-0 to zero at a certain point and it's really out of reach as far as getting a win, it's nice to have some other quarterbacks and some fresh faces in there. And we saw Trey Lowe able to lead some offensive possessions and get the, the ball going for them. And Frank Gore obviously contributed in the run game as well, but they got some points up under him. So that's something promising to look at as maybe a competition moving forward, whether that's within the season or in the offseason. The, the nasty bunch for Southern Miss, what they call that defense, had a, had a poor day. They give up over 300 yards rushing for the first time since last season, uh, 521 yards of total offense. They had a season low two sacks, forced just one turnover. So they struggled and that led to Georgia State having a big day uh, Georgia State, they're going to host ULM at home in their final home game of the year next week. And then Southern Miss is actually going to travel to Coastal Carolina. Uh, another tough test for the Golden Eagles here as we head down the final stretch. But we'll move on to Georgia Southern versus South Alabama. Uh, South Alabama had never won in Statesboro, but they walk out of this game with a 38-31 win. Georgia Southern at one point in this game led 21-7 to after the first quarter. Uh, they outscored South Alabama or South Alabama rather outscoring Georgia Southern 31 to 10 in the last three quarters of this game. First win in Statesboro for the Jags, and they now hold a two game winning streak over Georgia Southern after losing uh, the majority of the first matchups in this series. And then South Alabama, they had their third 500 plus yard output of the year. Caden, when I hear that 500-plus yard output, I would tend to believe that that was a lot of Carter Bradley, but in, it wasn't in this game. It was LaDamian Webb, who just could not be stopped. He runs for a career-high 162 yards 
and three touchdowns a week ago. This week, though, even better, 247 yards on the ground and four touchdowns, 35 carries, and 175 of those yards came in the last two quarters. LaDamian Webb was on fire against this Georgia Southern defense. It's funny. This is the shootout we expected it to be and the shootout we really wanted it to be, but I think it was not the way we expected it to look. I think looking at Georgia Southern getting up big early in this game was a surprise. Your pick was looking good as far as picking Georgia Southern and having South Alabama on the ropes, but credit South Alabama for coming back in this one and coming back in a way you usually don't see. When you're down to Georgia Southern, you're enthused to throw the ball and try to make some things happen to catch up and match that offensive pace of Kyle Van Trees. but you have to credit South Alabama's offense for just trusting LaDamian Webb and giving him the ball, knowing that he could also do things that might be more explosive than your passing game and be able to run the ball so effectively, get so many times in the end zone and so many yards for them. So it's not where you see a comeback victory on the shoulders of a running back, but that's just how special a Damian Webb is. So you have to credit for him for his absolutely monster performance in this one because he truly put the team on his back and ran them back into this game and ran them back into a win along with their defense that also played great in the second half compared to how they did in the first. Caden, what do you make of Carter Bradley's continued struggles? Second consecutive week where he throws for under 200 yards. He's He completed just 59% of his passes and three interceptions in his last three games, including a season-high two in this game. Why has he struggled over the last couple of weeks? It's tough to tell. I wanted to give the excuse to the weather last week is why he had some throwing struggles and why they had to lean on LaDamian Webb. But then you look at a game like this one where you have perfect weather and you have really every reason to throw the ball going up against another quarterback in the conference who's proven that he can throw the ball around as well. I think it's definitely a reason to have not some concern, but just some question marks as far as what this offense is going to look like going forward. He had two interceptions in this one. The first one really wasn't his fault. It was a great play by the linebacker who went up and kind of stole that one and took it to the house, which really gave Southern their momentum to start the game off. But I think the biggest thing to really notice with Carter Bradley's game and what his role has been in this offense is just the decline of his pass attempts. I mean, you look at the three weeks prior to these last two weeks, he had 41 attempts, 40 attempts, and 33 attempts. In the last two weeks, 24 and 27 pass attempts. So it looks like they're kind of taking the ball out of his hands a little bit more and putting it into LaDamian Webbs, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It has kind of been matching how he's been playing, but I'm very curious to see how South Alabama going forward has more of their balanced offensive attack that we were talking about that's looking a little bit more lopsided now. Carter hasn't been playing his best ball, but LaDamian has, so it does make sense logically. But I am curious if they do need Carter Bradley to down the stretch to throw the ball, make some winning plays for them. Are they going to be able to do it, and will they do it, or will they continue to keep working the workhorse running back? Because it looks like throughout the season they're able to do both, but now it's, oh, well, maybe you're not able to do both. So we'll see how they handle that issue going forward for their offense. Hindsight, certainly 2020, but man, would I have loved to seen this version of LaDamian Webb in that game versus Troy. The West might uh, be completely different if Webb had been fully healthy in that game, but we'll never know. Uh, Kyle Van Treese bounced back nicely in this game, completed 26 passes for 278 yards, two touchdowns. Derwin Burgess had a big game with 96 yards through the air and a touchdown. I was really pleased to see Kyle Van Treese bounce back in this game after a poor performance the week before. Another great day for Kyle Van Treese, another day in the office for him. I think he looked at his performance last week and he had a lot more help from his running game and he didn't necessarily get it in this one. So a lot more was on his plate, but you have to credit him and the connection he has with the receivers. I mean, Derwin Burgess, Caleb Hood, those guys have been coming up big for him and you just see the level of trust week after week after week start to build with those guys. They really look like the best duo of receivers and we talked about coming into this game with the Voicens and the Lacys on the other side of the ball for South Alabama which receiving duo would do the most work and that would be the difference in this game but then you look at a monster game from LaDamian game from LaDamian Webb that ends up winning the game for South Alabama's offense but you still have to credit and give your your flowers to this receiving core and this quarterback that have just 
been clicking all season and really giving every secondary problems. Yan Banks got one interception. He's one of the best safeties in the conference on Ventrese. But other than that, you look at the play they have, the route concepts they're running, and how on target these balls are and the connection that Vakal Ventrese has with his receivers. It's something that every defensive coordinator and defensive player for sure has an issue with looking into every game and is something they're scared about going into every, into every game with this Georgia Southern offense. Another thing for Georgia Southern in this game is that they really struggled to run the football just 88 yards on the ground. It was the third time in the last four weeks that they've gone under 100 yards. South Alabama's defense, Caden, really stepped up down the stretch. They gave up 21 points in that first quarter to Georgia Southern, but then would give up just 10 points in the remaining three quarters. They allowed four net yards of rushing in the final three quarters of this game. Kane Womack's defense stepped up in a huge way, and that was a big reason why South Alabama was able to pick up this win. And I think it says a lot about their defensive character. They're, they have by any means necessary. They did not throw the first punch in this game. They had 21 points scored on them very quickly. One of those wasn't their fault because it was an interception. So their offense kind of put them in the hole a little bit. But when it mattered most, they got the stops. They got three stops in their last three possessions of the game. And their offense got three touchdowns in their last three possessions of the games. That was the difference of it. And that's when you talk about complimentary football. So you have to credit the South Alabama team because we know their aspirations going into the season, being a championship team. And when you see that culture, and that strength in that, and you can see your offense and defense really play complimentary football. I think it is a testament to Kane Walmack and that group and just the continuity they have on both sides of the ball, really, but especially the defense, especially down the stretch. Last thing on this matchup, another big performance by that offensive line for Georgia Southern. They limited chaos, just one sack allowed, six TFLs to South Alabama. That was after the Jags had a season-high 11-4 and four in their previous game against A-State. Another good day for that unit, Caden. Definitely another great day for them. I think when you look at that, it was a huge difference in the game. If you look at both sides of the ball, I think if you're looking at the Georgia Southern offense, Kyle Van Trees in the passing game is always going to be there. The run game is always going to be a plus. And then on their defensive side of the ball, on the flip side, Georgia Southern came into this game with the worst rushing rushing defense in the conference. And I think when you saw what LaDamian Webb did, that really is what was the huge difference in this game. And that's why South Alabama was able to pull off the win because that's just something that Southern hasn't been able to do all year. And it really came to bite them in the butt at the end of the game because they obviously started it off right. But then at the end, with LaDamian Webb just wearing down that defensive front, it's hard to stop, especially if it's something that's just not in your wheelhouse. Well, South Alabama will face Texas State at home next week. Georgia Southern travels to Louisiana for a Thursday night game on ESPNU, so be watching out for that in the midweek in Week 11. Well, we'll move on. Louisiana versus Troy. Troy coming away with a 23-17 win. Uh, Louisiana led 17-0 with 8.36 left in the third quarter, but then Troy would score 23 unanswered points in the final 23 minutes of this game. Uh, it was just the sixth Trojan win when trailing at the half since 2015. They had been 5 for 21 and entering this game. Uh, and really the story for Troy, as it continues to be throughout the year, has been easy running. They ran for a season high 149 yards. Kimani Vidal had the walk-off game-winning 22-yard touchdown run, and that was the third time he's gone over 100 yards. Troy's resurgence and Troy's strong play this year, Caden, as we've said so many times, it feels like it rests on the running game and even more so lately with the quarterbacks not playing their best, but another big performance for that Trojans running game. Yeah, you broke it down perfectly. It was obviously like the last game, a tale of two halves. If you look at the offensive and defensive sides of the ball for Troy and just the able, the way they were able to rally in the second half was amazing. And the way they were able to do it, leaning on their running backs was amazing. We talked about that hundred yard mark, if they were able to hit it. Now it looks like it's really more on the front of their mind than the back of their mind. You look at Kamani Vidal, it's the most carries he's had all season. And they really made it a point of emphasis to get him going and run the ball. And I remember when it was getting in those closing minutes of the game, I texted you and I was like, get ready for a Brooks Buse 
walk-off field goal. I just thought that's what's going to happen. And Kamani took the ball in his hands and took matters into his own hands, found the pylon, found the end zone, and got a huge touchdown for his team. So you have to credit those guys up front for really evolving as far as the run blocking goes in the scheme and getting their running back set up into position to now where they can win them games as well. And it's not just on the defense. Defense was huge for Troy in this game. They gave up 224 yards of offense in the first half, but then allowed just 81 yards down the stretch, holding Louisiana to one of six on third down. They had been six of 10 uh, in that first half. Caden, what led to that flip? Why was Troy so much better at holding Louisiana down on third down in the second half? Troy's defense, those Troy defensive things, it was very similar to what I talked about with South Alabama, but in a very different way. They only give up 10 points in the first half, and they have a great performance, and then they start off the third quarter slow, but then they showed up when it mattered, and they gave their offense enough time to get the ball back and do some things on there. And so you have to credit Troy's defense as always for playing great, obviously led by Carlton Marshall with his 13 tackles. And you saw that Louisiana had to use Woodridge in the run game and had to use him to get into the end zone because that was just the only checkmate they had. I think when you look at Troy's defense, they're a very hard team to attack and you have to throw some different wrinkles at them to get on the scoreboard. So I do credit Louisiana for using some creative ways and using their quarterback to get into the end zone. But Troy did just enough to keep them out of it enough to let their offense come back into this one and get the win. You mentioned the 13 tackles for Carlton Marshall now needs just 20 to become the FBS all-time leader. And that's actually within striking range uh, in this next game for Carlton Marshall with how he's played throughout his career. But the storyline for Louisiana is Ben Wooldridge had a pretty quiet day. Uh, he threw for over 300 yards in his last two games, uh, but finishes this game with just 112 yards through the air and zero touchdowns. Uh, they actually had a seven touchdowns or he had seven touchdowns in his last two games, but Caden, he did do a nice job. He ran for two touchdowns in this game, picking up his first career rushing touchdown as a raging Cajun. Uh, what did you think of Ben Wooldridge's day? Talked about it with other quarterbacks in the conference. When it gets in that November time of year and the most important football is being played, you need more running game from your quarterback. And I think he's proven in flashes, especially when he was the backup, that that was kind of the difference between him and Chairman the Fields. He could provide that dynamic runner on a third down situation. And I think this game really proved it and solidified it because I think if he didn't have his legs, it's safe to say they wouldn't get in the end zone. You got to credit their offense. Got the run game going, got Chris Smith going and some of those guys. But Ben Wooldridge, a lot of the weight was on him. And I think going up against a defense as good as Troy, you can really only ask him to not turn the ball over, which he didn't do, and just sustain drives and keep the chains moving, which they were kind of inconsistent with during the night. But I think he played as good as he can. And he really set his team up as far as the ebbs and flows of this game to win it at the end. So I like him. I think he's gotten better. Like I've said, every week he's been the starter. And this was just one of the tougher teams in the conference that gave him a tough time. But they give just about everybody a tough time. So if I was in Louisiana, I wouldn't be too worried about his performance. Louisiana, they went silent in the fourth quarter. They had just 14 total yards, all of them rushing. They failed to pick up a completion uh, for yards in that fourth quarter. Uh, Louisiana, they're going to face Georgia Southern at home on Thursday night, so a quick turnaround. Meanwhile, Troy will host Army um, on Saturday this coming week as the Trojans continue to roll their red hot. Uh, we'll move on. ULM versus Texas State. Uh, ULM winning this one 31-30. They trailed uh, by 21 after the first quarter. Uh, and Caden, really, it was a trick play on fourth and goal where they threw the touchdown pass to Chandler Rogers that jump-started this stagnant ULM offense. Uh, Seth Keller then had a chance after a fumble from Chandler Rogers at the end of this game to hit the game-winning field goal. He missed it from 38 yards. Uh, the story in this game, Caden, was ULM lost the football a lot. Texas State forced a season-high four turnovers, two fumble recoveries, an interception. They forced three fumbles. Uh, and then had one or fewer turnovers in six of the previous eight games ULM did. Uh, what did you make of Texas State's defensive performance against ULM in this game? It was a strong performance, and it was one of those rare ones where you do see 
the rare time where you lose the turnover battle tremendously, you lose the time, lose the time of possession battle a little bit, but the team is still able to pull off the win. I think this one was, we talked about heading into it, a close defensive and offensive matchup as far as personnel and what these teams are capable of. And Texas State stepped up to the occasion and they threw the first punches, particularly on offense, and were playing the best complimentary football to start off the game. And a lot of that was because their defense was able to slow some things down. But you talked about that offensive creativity and Chandler Rogers' play style and him being able to rally around his offensive guys and for them to get things going. It was just a little too overwhelming, I think, for Texas State's defense once their offense wasn't clicking as well. So you have to credit Leo Lem's offense for being able to put that pressure and really turn the tides and really steal this game and make enough plays and get enough drives put together to steal it, really, because that's truly what it was. It came down to the wire. Texas State might have won the game on paper in a lot of ways, but on the field, on the film, on the tape, you can see that the Louisiana Monroe players just wanted a little more and they took it at the end. Let's talk about Chandler Rogers and Tyrone Howell, those two, that pairing excelling over the last couple of weeks. Rogers has his third career 300-yard game in this contest, threw for two touchdowns, completed 70% of his passes. Meanwhile, uh, Howell caught 12 passes for 176 yards and two touchdowns. In his last three games, Caden, 26 catches for nearly 450 yards and five touchdowns. He's having one of the best stretches in his career and these two players for ULM were a big piece of why they walked away with this victory. Now, we came into the season talking about which receivers in the conference we had high expectations for, who was going to get the torch passed down for them as far as who was going to be the, the next best premier receiver in this conference. And we didn't talk about Tyron Howell coming into this season because he's a player from Louisiana Monroe. We didn't hear about him that much. And it wasn't a team that was just in our mouths too much as far as coming into the season. But he's proven himself as an all-conference receiver, I think, 100% first team, in my opinion, just because he's been able to give every team, no matter who it is, issues. And I think a lot of that has to do with Chandler Rogers and that run game maybe not being able to get going. And they probably met together and looked at each other and were like, listen, if we're going to win some games, if we're going to get this offense going, it's going to be you and me, my guy. Like, It's going to have to be us too. So credit those two for having the, probably the best connection we've seen of as far as what you're working with as an entire offense and a team, what you're able to get out of each other. Those two guys have been one of the most dynamic duos in the conference, and they're a great one to watch. And you have to give all credit for them for really making the most of the hand they've been dealt this season and be able to put up monster numbers week in and week out. Texas State did run the ball fairly well in this game, 130 yards on 22 carries and one rushing touchdown. Lincoln Perry had his first 100-yard rushing game of the season. Caden, the next thing really in this matchup for Texas State is they're struggling to win tight games right now. Texas State, they've lost three straight games by six points or less, actually the first time in their FBS history. If you look at this Texas State team, Caden, heading down the stretch here, if they get into tight games, what's a strategy to maybe win some of those tight games when they've lost several lately? It's a great question. I knew going into this game, Lincoln Perry would be a key part of their offense if they were going to get going and they were going to get the win. And Lane Hatcher has, like I've talked about, been an improved player and an improved quarterback for this team and has elevated them at times. But I think winning close games is a skill that you have to learn from doing it. We talked earlier in the season about how Coastal Carolina was able to do it, and that's because they're more used to doing it than not doing it. And you look at Texas State, now they're getting in the point where they're used to getting blown out by a lot of these teams. And now they're in the position where it's tight in the third and fourth quarter. They're able to win these games. And that's just something that's new to them. I think it's something that's going to take reps. They're going to have to take their lumps. You even saw in their victory over App State, they kind of let App State creep back into that game and they had a chance. And their lead was a big part of what was able to get them the win in that one. If they would have played in a close tight one, if you look at the rest of their games from the schedule, it's hard to say they would have pulled out the win. So I think that's something you just have to learn over time. They're going to bring a lot of those guys back from last year and have a more veteran group. And I think you have to remember these times where you lost by one, you lost by three, you lost by four. Lean on that. See what you did wrong as a coach. Because if you're a coach and you have to evaluate an entire game and what you did wrong, 
you can fix all the little things that you did wrong. You have a lot that you saw you did right. And then just look at those crucial moments. What did you do wrong? What's the, what's the play we could have called on third down to keep the chains moving? What's the play on defense we could have called to get that one stop? When is the game? If you could just lean on those things and rely on that experience that you're learning throughout the year, they're building it up to where they're setting themselves up in the future to win these close games because you kind of have to take these lumps. And that's just kind of a part of being a perennial team that wins in this conference. You have to learn how to win in close games. And they're just in their learning phases right now. Texas State travels to South Alabama this coming week. ULM faces suddenly red-hot Georgia State in Atlanta, so be watching out for those games in the coming weeks. Louisville versus James Madison, the final game that we'll talk about, Caden, the final game of the day. It was on ESPNU. Uh, James Madison made things really challenging for Louisville in that first half, but they would fall 34-10. to This game was tied at the half. JMU, though, was outscored by 24 in the second half, and now JMU, after being ranked earlier in the season, They've now lost three games in a row. Caden, the big storyline in this one, and no one will say it, but Todd Santeo just seemed off. Maybe he still seemed like he wasn't 100% healthy. He completed just four of 15 passes, uh, threw it just six times in the first half, and then only threw it nine times in the second half. What did you make of Santeo's performance? It's very unfortunate. We were obviously excited to see him and have him playing back in this game. But when you see him playing as this version of himself, that's very clearly not his best self and his best version. It's tough to watch. You talked about the first half that James Madison had in this game. It was a great first half and it was very competitive. And it was going into the halftime 10-10 tie. And I think the second half, it all fell apart. And it's because you had half of your quarterback, it seems like. When you get half of your best player, your most dynamic player and your leader, if you only get half of him, you're only probably going to get a good half of football. It's very clear that his stat line and his play wasn't reflecting what we've seen in the past. So if you're James Madison, you obviously wanted to get this win and it would have been cool to get a power five win to swing some momentum, but you have to worry about getting your quarterback healthy. Now you're not playing in a bowl game. You're not playing in the championship and you don't want to keep putting him out there. If your team's going to perform like this as well, and you can risk maybe him getting hurt a little bit more, which is something that's probably not going to be talked about a lot, but just want to see him healthy. And that's just what all you can really wish for as a fan of James Madison and of football, as far as watching Sunball play week in and week out. One guy who was healthy in this game continues to excel down the stretch. The final games of his career, Percy Ajay Obisay, uh, continues to have a strong season. He ran for the 12th 100-yard performance of his career, averaged 4.3 yards per carry against this Louisville defense. But he really dropped off in the second half. Caden, what were your thoughts on Obisay's uh, performance in this game? You have to credit for him. You have to look at the offensive workload these last couple of weeks without Todd. And there's been a lot put on his plate without a doubt. And he's definitely stepped up to the call and really stepped up to the occasion as far as what he's been able to do for this offense in Todd's absence. But I think when you look at the second half of this game, some of those Louisville coaching staff guys, they were at App State a couple of years ago when I was there. And they're a great, great unit at adjusting in the second half and making the proper adjustments. And I think once they realized Todd wasn't healthy and he wasn't going to be a dynamic runner for this team and that their offense was going to be stagnant and lean through Percy, I think it was very easy to load up the box and make him be a lot less successful in the second half. So credit to him for getting a good start. But once you kind of realize and take a step back and look at what this JMU team is looking like as a whole, and specifically the offense, very easy to key on him and stop them. James Madison did a really nice job in this game against Malik Cunningham. He came in as Louisville's leading rusher and they held him to zero yards on the ground, including negative 18 on his final 14 carries. They did give up 244 yards on the ground, so they had a couple of other guys beat them. But I really felt like James Madison did a nice job of containing one of the nation's elite dual threat quarterbacks in Malik Cunningham. Yeah, the more you can keep quarterbacks like Malik Cunningham and even the Tots and Tails of the world from doing Malik Cunningham things, that's the best you can ask for as far as the defense. If he's not beating you with his legs and he's only beating you with his arm, that's a great thing for James Madison and looking forward 
to quarterbacks they'll play in the future of this conference. I think this is a great test for some of those defensive guys coming back. But Malik just did a couple Malik things with his arm that's going to get you beat. He threw for three touchdown passes. He scrambled and made some guys miss behind a line of scrimmage. But that's what he's going to do. But you have to credit this James Madison team, especially in the first half for their effort, just because things started to fall apart on the other side of the ball as well. And it kind of trickled down to their defense. And I think this running attack is perennial. They have the inside and outside zone game that we've seen, like I mentioned before, be very effective in the Sunbelt Conference in the past. And it really just wore on this team that just seemed outmatched and outnumbered, but have to credit them for their best effort on both sides of the ball with others stopping Malik and getting the most out of Todd you could. Well, James Madison will have a chance to get back into the winner's circle this coming week when they travel to face Old Dominion. It will be the first meeting in the newly started royal rivalry between these two programs, James Madison and Old Dominion. Well, Caden, an excellent slate of games and a lot of great performances on offense, defense, and maybe even an honorable mention on special teams. Go ahead and walk us through your picks of the week uh, from week 10. Exciting weekend of ball, and it's the moment everyone's been waiting for on this podcast for Smith's Picks of the Weeks because we had so many individual performances to choose from, and it was definitely per usual, a hard week to choose from. But we're going to start with offense. I'm going to give my honorable mentions first. You have to give credit to Marcus Carroll for Georgia State. He had a great performance and had the most touches he's ever had and made the most of them in his game. But you have to also look at the running back performance that was put on by South Alabama running back LaDamian Webb, who is going to be my player of the week. I'm going to give it away and just stick with the position groups on this one. But LaDamian Webb rushes for 35 carries, 247 yards on the ground and four touchdowns. He was the reason why in a shootout, you lean on your running back and you get the win. That's that's always going to get you a player of the week honors. And I think another thing to look at is in this conference, only two quarterbacks in the conference threw for more yards than he rushed for. His 247 was only touched by Kyle Van Treese and by... Um, Chandler Rogers from Louisiana Monroe. So credit to LaDamian Webb for literally putting the team on his back and he's the offensive player of the week. But and also another honorable mention shout out to receiver Tywin Howell. We talked about him and his performance with Monroe. 12 catches, 176 yards and two touchdowns. On the defensive side of the week, you're tired of hearing this name and you're going to hear it every week as long as he keeps having 19 tackle performances. It's Jason Henderson. He had 19 tackles for Old Dominion this weekend and kept Marshall out of the end zone. Also had two TFLs on his day. You look at just across the conference, He's week in and week out the hardest person to outperform. But my honorable mention is going to be another linebacker, Georgia Southern's Kadre Jackson. He had 10 tackles, one interception returned for a touchdown to open up that game and really swing some momentum in that one. I think if they may have, if Georgia Southern maybe was able to pull off the win in that one, I might have been able to give him the defensive player of the week. But Jason had another good day. And you mentioned it, a, bo- a bonus addition for the Smith's picks of the week, the first time we've ever done it. Got to give it to a special teams guy when he has a day like this. Marshall kicker Reese Vernhoff drilled four or five field goals for 12 points, and they were the only points of the game. That's it. If you're a special teams guy, you're the only one scoring on your team, you're going to get your flowers on this podcast. So kudos to him for being the first inaugural bonus special teams player of the week for Smith's picks of the week. So those are my guys for week 10. You got to love it. I mean, we're 10 weeks into the season. Sometimes you have to mix it up. And that certainly was a fantastic performance out of Marshall's kicker. So well-deserved honors there. Well, that'll do it for our week 10 recap episode. Only three weeks remain in the Sunbelt regular season and the races for the East and the West titles are beginning to come into focus. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week, where we'll feature a soon to be announced athlete from one of the Sunbelt's best defenses. Thanks so much for listening. We both enjoyed this episode of the Frarian Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you did too. If you did, please take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider leaving us a review or rating if you like the show. It really helps us out. Lastly, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Frarian Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. Music.